0: Uh, We are in the 14th week of of a sermon series uh, on the book of Daniel, a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. And the broad theme of the series is identity formation. How are our identities being formed on a daily basis? Daniel, who believed in the God of the Bible, was taken captive and he served under many kings who did not believe in the God of the Bible. And through his trials, through his endurance, and through his successes, we have been seeing how our identities are being formed in our homes and through our careers. That's been the series so far. Today we're moving into chapter 6, and we're going to see Daniel's lives and trials under a brand new king, Darius. Let's go straight into the passage. Uh, If this is your first time in a church, if you've never read the Bible before, we're going to be trying to do everything we can to to give you all the context, historical and current, and we're going to be trying our best to make sure uh, that what we are speaking is clear and meaningful to you as well. Uh, I'm reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. It's going to come up. It's a pretty, pretty simple passage. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps uh, sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel, with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, And the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition or praise to any god or any man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions for death. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the meats of the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injection, injunction. Verse 10, and that's the verse we're really going to be focusing on today. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. Gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. We're going to be spending three weeks looking at verse 10. This prayer that Daniel prayed. This week, we're going to be looking at uh, this prayer as a prayer of defiance. Next week, week two, we're going to be looking at this as a prayer of purpose. And week three, we're going to be looking at verse 10 as a prayer of of repentance. Let's pray before we move in to what we're going to be looking at today. Father, we worship you, Lord. We pray uh, that as we live in the city, Lord, in a very pluralistic culture, we pray would you give us grace, would you speak to us through your word and equip us and empower us here and now to live as witnesses of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week we're going to be looking at this as a prayer of defiance. And I want to draw three things for us from this passage. First, this was a prayer of defiance. Second, Daniel's defiance was backed by his excellence. And third, the need for godly defiance in our lives. So a prayer of defiance... Daniel's defiance was backed by excellence and the need for godly defiance in our lives. Let's move in to the prayer of defiance. This passage, even if you've never read the Bible before, is a very simple one. And it's it's a very familiar situation. Uh, It happens in the corporate world all the time. People are jealous of each other's success. Welcome to Mumbai. Uh, Other officials here... Um, very envious of Daniel's excellence and success, hatched a plot to do him in him. They knew that Daniel will never compromise on his faith in the God of the Bible. So this is what they used to get him into trouble. They hatched a plan. They walked up to King Darius and said, let no one in this kingdom pray to any God except to you for 30 days. No one is to pray to any God except to you, O king. And if anyone refuses to follow this, throw them to the den of lions to be eaten alive and, and, and obviously dead. If they're eaten alive, they're not going to stay alive eat, uh, anymore. And the king signed this this injunction. And this brings us to verse 10, verse ten. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had the windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel had no hesitation whatsoever in defying the king's command. Daniel was not going to stop praying to the God of the Bible. Daniel was not going to start praying to the king. He was going to pray only to his God. Not only that, as you see from the passage, Daniel did not also hide his prayers. He he went to his house where he had windows open in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem and he prayed and everyone could see. Presumably, when he opened the windows, when the windows were open, everyone could see. Which is why uh, we say this with certainty because when Daniel started praying, we read later on the passage that all the other jealous rivals go and complain to the king because they had seen him praying. And they obviously had seen him pray earlier as well because that's how they initially hatched this plan to, to, to get Daniel undone. I say this is a prayer of defiance because Daniel did not hide in a corner and pray. He did not hide in his bedroom and pray. He did not hide in his bathroom and pray. I say this is a prayer of defiance because Daniel did not close the window when he prayed. He left it open as he always did. Daniel did not hide the fact that he was praying. This is really interesting. Think about it. Is it wrong to pray in hiding? Could Daniel not have hidden and prayed? In fact, wouldn't that have been the wiser thing to do? You know, if you read the passage, after all, this edict, this rule this king bought is not that you cannot pray to your God forever. It says you cannot pray to anyone except the king for 30 days. That's it. So Daniel could have just, just pretended or, or prayed very quietly in his heart, in his, in his home without anyone seeing for 30 days and then gone back to praying to his God all over again. But Daniel chose not to hide his prayer even for 30 days. What was the point of Daniel's defiance? What was the point of Daniel's defiance? Daniel was defiant because he understood the importance of public faith in a pluralistic culture. To not pray is give up being public about his faith. And Daniel did not want to give up being public about his faith. What do I mean by public faith? Public faith is is simply being open and public about our faith in Christ Jesus. Here's a very simple example of how we can be public about our faith. This is what I mean. You go into office on Monday and you ask your colleagues, how was your weekend? Uh, He or she answers a question and and then he or she is also very likely to ask you, how was your weekend? What will you say? You can say, I went to dinner at this really great place. Or you can say, I did all my laundry successfully over the weekend. Or you can say, I had a really good worship ch- service at church. That's a very simple example of being very naturally, very spontaneously uh, in, in no awkward way, being public about our faith. I say this jokingly, but there is some truth in this. Um, you know, some of us, we are more comfortable talking about our laundry than we are about our faith in Jesus. Here's another example of how we can very practically, very naturally be public about our faith. Uh, in, in, in many of our offices, people are quite often called to work on Sundays, you know, occasionally, uh, someone might request you to get some work done on, on Sunday. Uh, you could just get it done, or you can tell your boss or your colleague who was making that request, you know what, I really enjoy going to church on Sunday morning. Uh, Jesus means everything to me. Would it be okay if I do the work in the second half? You see, you've honored him, and, and you've just been public, about your faith. Now, of course, if your boss or colleague makes it a habit of getting work done on every asking you to work on every Sunday, then you have to turn the, 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 your conversation around. You say, you know what, I just, I, I love going to church on Sundays. I, I need Jesus. Uh, and you know, so can you we, can we, can we please not make this a habit? Again, a very natural way to be public about our faith. Let me clarify something here. It's important to understand this. In this context, in the context of the passage, in the context of what we're discussing this morning, public faith is not yet evangelism. Public faith is that step before evangelism which gradually creates opportunities for us to share our faith in Christ with others. You see, in this context, if you see Daniel is not yet sharing his faith in the God of the Bible with others. He's not yet doing that. He's done that in the past, but in this situation, he's not yet doing that. He is just being public about his faith. And being public about our faith naturally, spontaneously, winsomely, gently, respectfully, wisely, courageously, gradually opens doors for evangelism. A lot of us, we feel awkward and, and unsure. And uncomfortable about evangelism because we don't appreciate the easier first step of being public about our faith. So this morning, if you're in a place and and you're feeling, I'd love to talk to uh, my colleagues about Jesus, but I'm not really sure how to. It it just doesn't feel right for me. All this is really new to me. And I'm not really sure how to begin the conversation. Let me just tell you this. Being public about your faith in very simple ways will very likely get them, get your colleagues to ask you about your faith. If we don't have the gentle and winsome defiance to be public with our faith, we'll never have the courage to take the next step to evangelism. You know, Daniel realized that. Daniel knew he had to be public with his faith. Yes, yes, Daniel was thrown into the line of dens. We're going to see that in the coming weeks because he was public with his faith. But the story does not end there. He, he gets rescued. Uh, for today, just let's just look at verse 16 of the chapter. We haven't read that passage, but let's just read this verse and we'll see what's happening here. Then the king commanded And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions because he didn't obey the king's command. And when the king cast Daniel into the den of lions, this is what the king said. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Because Daniel was public about his faith, King Darius was beginning to form opinions and is engaging with the God's Of Daniel. Through this entire series on the book of Daniel we've been looking at how our identities are being formed. The deeper and the more important aspect of how our identities are being formed is is how we view ourselves. We've been seeing that deep inside at the very core Our identities must be rooted in who we are in Christ Jesus. Our identities must be rooted in Jesus' love for us, his sacrifice for us, and his work on our behalf. So identities is what we believe about ourselves. But all that said, it is also important that others also identify us primarily through our faith in Jesus. When people look at you, neighbors, colleagues, whoever, when they look at you, is your faith in Christ Jesus a defining part of your identity for them? If you can, you can answer the, on that question, the affirmative, that means you and I, we've been public about our faith. And this is building our identity for others. And that's why being public about our faith is so important. There is another kind of defiance that we all need to develop. In this passage, the royal command said, no one can pray to any God for 30 days. Now, I I bet your boss or mine, none of our bosses are ever going to issue a command like that. That's not going to happen. But, I guess every one of our offices create enough and more work for us that we have absolutely no time, no time left to pray to Jesus daily, to, to spend time reading the Bible daily. And so, so we need to develop this godly defiance not to give in to this pressure. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not at all saying work is bad. Uh, we, in fact, in UCD, we deeply believe that work uh, is created by God, is instituted by God, but work is not than God. Our careers are gifts to God. It's how God wants us to serve others every day, seven days a week, five days a week, six days a week. But our careers are not more important than our relationship with God. At New City, we always keep saying that we want to celebrate our careers, but we will not be consumed by our careers. It's so important to live in that tension. We want to celebrate our careers, but we will not be consumed by it. Going back to this discussion we are having on public faith. Um, For those of us, if this is your first time in a church or you're who we would call an explorer, someone who's curious about Jesus, someone who's interested in Jesus, someone who's vaguely interested in God, and you're trying to, you know, you're checking Jesus out, but you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus yet. I'm sure, even as I've been talking, and even before, this question has, uh, has, has often come up in your minds. Why are Christians so keen about being public about their faith? what is it about Christians that they want to talk about Jesus? I mean, isn't, isn't faith, uh, uh, isn't religion a, a private thing? Should I, should I not keep my faith to myself? And, and even here in church, why is this pastor telling people, encouraging them to go and be public about their faith? Is faith private? That's the question we're dealing with. Now, Let me say this, and I think you're going to agree with me. You can say this to any generation except this generation. You could have said this 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, but you cannot say to this generation that something, anything is private. Just look at social media. We want to tell the world about everything we do. We want to tell the world about the food we eat, the holidays we go to, the friends we have. We don't believe that nothing is private anymore. I, I, you're going to agree with me on this that this generation, this generation is a generation of self expression. I am who I am, and I want to tell the world who I am. Why do I have to hide who I am? And so, We live in a generation that believes in publicly flaunting even something as private as their sexuality. And so in many cultures, we have gay parents, uh, which is uh, uh, gay people walking onto the streets saying, I am gay. You're not gonna believe this, but right now at this very moment in Boston, work is happening on a really big rally. And this rally is, I think, the world's first straight parade. So apparently, there are hundreds of thousands of straight people who are keen on telling the world that I am straight. And if you don't believe me, Google it up. Google it up after the sermon, not not during it, please. I kid you not, it's happening in Boston, here, and now, a straight parade. Gay people want to tell the world they're gay, straight people want to tell the people. This is sexuality, isn't that private? We live in a world that wants to be public about everything and we call that self-expression. We live in a world, we want to be public about everything including our sexuality. Why can't we be public about our faith? Jesus did not come to establish religion. Jesus came to love us. He, he loved us with the most ravishing of loves. He loved us with the most extravagant of loves. He loved us with the most beautiful of loves. And a true follower of Jesus, it's not that he's trying to make, he put up or put on a show, but a true follower of Jesus cannot keep that quiet. I mean, have you seen anyone who's fallen in love and, you know, is pretending as if everything is okay and just, just the usualness? Like, no this person is bubbling, he's, he's happy or she's happy and excited and she wants, he or she wants to tell his friends about it. And that's how true followers of Jesus feel about their faith. And that's why we need to be public about our faith. It's the most natural thing to do. Again, let me clarify that public faith does not, going, uh, does not mean going and getting a tattoo saying, I'm a Christian on our foreheads. It does not mean telling our uh, telling telling bosses and colleagues in every second sentence that I'm a Christian. Uh, how was work this week? Uh, work was good. I'm a Christian. That's not, that's not what public faith means. It just means humbly and boldly and appropriately acknowledging our faith at relevant and appropriate times. Let me just give you one example uh, from my, my, my life to make the point. I used to be the editor of a magazine called Outlook Business. And uh, I would have dinner in that that time uh, with the editor of Outlook, the magazine. We would have dinner pretty much every day because I was spending a lot of time in Delhi uh, at that point in time, and he and I, we we used to live in the same guest house whenever we were traveling. And I knew him well, and and he was a a, a Tambram, as I called him, just as I uh, am a Tambram, a Tamil Brahmin. And he just assumed that about me, and I was absolutely fine with that. and and we kept having conversations and several evenings we would have dinner together. And this went on for a few weeks. And at that point, I didn't really feel the need to be public about my faith because there there was not a spontaneous opportunity coming. As I said, public faith is not telling everyone I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian in every second sentence. But one evening after dinner, this was in 2008 if I remember correct, we were watching a television program and there was this huge debate on conversions that was happening. Uh, this was, you know, Christians were in tribal Christians in villages were being persecuted in, in, in Orissa. And having watched that debate on television with him, I felt it was not right on my part to not tell him that I'm a follower of Jesus. So I turned to him, and his name was, uh, I, I called him by his name, and I said, do you know I'm a convert? And I used the word convert very intentionally. Uh, and he was shocked. And, 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 and he fell out of chair. He asked me a you know, several questions for two hours, and, and to cut a long story short, finally he asked me if, if I would write about my faith. And I wrote an article called I, the Convert, which, you, which also you can Google it up after the sermon, please. And, and, and God really used that article. He really, I had no plans of writing the article. I had no plans of telling the whole world in a, in a, in a column about my faith. Because I took that very simple, natural, spontaneous step to just being public about my faith at a time when it would have been highly inappropriate for me not to be public about my faith. I would have not been true to Jesus if I had not been public about my faith at that point in time. That small step led to so many things. That's the first thing we want to look at from this prayer of Daniel. It was a prayer of defiance. In our careers, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, not in our homes, in our neighborhoods, we need to be public about our faith in very gentle, very respectful ways. That brings us to the second thing we want to draw from this passage this morning. Daniel's defiance was backed by his excellence. Daniel's defiance was backed by his excellence. Look at verse 3. From the passage we read, then this Daniel became distinguished over all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This passage makes it evident that Daniel's defiance was backed by his excellence. And this is also a very important part of being public about our faith. Our defiance must be backed by Our excellence at work. There are two ways in which we can go wrong with this. First, if we are defiant without excellence, then our testimony about Jesus is not going to be worth much. (laughs) On the other hand, if we are merely excellent but have no defiance, we won't even have a public faith. Let's, Let's look at both these scenarios defiance without excellence is ineffective in the corporate world. If I am public about my faith in Jesus and if I keep sharing about my faith in Jesus with everyone at my office, but if I really suck at my work, who on earth is going to turn to this Jesus that I am pointing to? So defiance without excellence... It's not very helpful. And so we have to engage passionately in our careers. We have to excel in our respective careers. But our passion for our careers must flow and be second only to our passion for Jesus. Daniel did all of that. That's why his public faith was so winsome and so Powerful. That's why kings who persecuted Daniel embraced the faith of Daniel. That's why kings who persecuted Daniel for believing in the God of the Bible wanted to know through Daniel more about the God of the Bible. On the other hand, excellence without defiance is equally ineffective. I really do want to pause here, let's be honest with ourselves for a couple of minutes here. I know we all pursue excellence in our careers, but have we thought about defiance and public faith in our careers? This morning, if we were to measure our hunger for excellence in our careers on a scale of one to ten, and if we were to measure our defiance or public faith on the same scale of one to ten, how would we fare on both scales? I would imagine looking at my own track record, uh, the desire, hunger for excellence, I would score myself maybe eight on a, eight you know, on a scale of 10. But defiance in public faith, probably three to four on a scale of ten. Given the ferocity, given the ferocity with which we pursue excellence in our careers, is our lack of public faith actual cowardice? Even as we are pursuing excellence in our careers, and we should be, why are we not being more public about our faith? Listen to me here. I'm not even talking about evangelism. I'm not even talking about sharing our faith with, in Jesus with others. I'm just talking about being honest with, and public about our faith in Jesus. Paul, an amazing disciple of Jesus in, in, in a book called Romans in, in the New Testament, this is what he has to say. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In not being public about our faith, could it be, could it be that we are ashamed of the gospel? Let's let's continue being honest here. Our failure to be public with our faith, is it because of fear or Is it because of indifference? This is a scary question. It it, it scared me. If we are not being public with our faith because we are afraid of what it will bring, that's perhaps a better of the two excuses to have. You know, we can relate to that. Uh, We can understand to that. You know, we live in in an environment which is not very friendly to followers of Jesus. It's quite hostile to them. So I'm not saying it's right to be afraid, so don't get me wrong, uh, but but we can relate to that. The scarier answer to the question is that I'm not public about my faith in Jesus because of sheer indifference. Could this be true in our lives? Are we so caught up with being successful in our careers that we've become indifferent about Jesus. Are we so caught up with being successful in our careers that we've actually reached a point where we don't even care about Jesus while we are at our work? We've become indifferent. Have we reached a point where we love our careers so much there's no longer any more capacity left in our hearts to love Jesus? Jesus. Not being public about our faith because we are indifferent is perhaps worse than not being public of our faith because we are afraid. Indifference, I wonder if that's a bigger sin than even fear. It's a scary question. But all that said, even there, even in this place of indifference, there is forgiveness. God, God is not here to condemn anyone. And I don't want anyone to walk away feeling condemned because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I do want to lead us into repentance here and now. So if you have not been As public about your faith as you should have, and I feel that way too, could we repent together this morning? Would you ask God's forgiveness just as I'm asking for it? Would you pray, even as I'm praying, could we pray together asking God for grace and courage to be public about our faith? We need both defiance and excellence as we seek to live as ambassadors of Christ this world we need to be excellent but in that excellence we must demonstrate a godly defiance in being respectfully public about our faith no matter what the world thinks and that brings us to the last thing I'd like to unpack for us today the need for godly defiance in our lives the need for godly defiance in our lives Daniel was threatened with being thrown into the den of lions. He defied the king and he was indeed thrown into the den of lions. What happens later, we'll see in the coming weeks. But the question I have for us is, was Daniel the only one who was thrown? Was Daniel the only follower of Jesus who was thrown into into a den of lions? Not at all. The history of the early church Soon after Christ uh, uh, rose again from the dead and soon after Christ ascended into heaven, as the early church was being formed, the early church came under intense persecution from the Roman Empire. Because that was the kingdom in power at that, at that point in time. And it was quite, off, quite common as a public spectacle, and that was the Olympics of those times, that in public spectacles, in stadiums that were built for purpose, with thousands cheering, it is quite common for followers of Jesus to be thrown to lions, to be eaten alive because of their faith in Jesus. Under the Roman Empire, they had had this term called damnatio ad bestius. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Damnatio ad bestius, which is in Latin basically means condemnation to beasts. It was a form of capital punishment under the Roman Empire, just like hanging or, or is now. Between the first and the third centuries AD, this penalty, condemnation to, be, to beast, being thrown alive to be devoured by lions was a penalty applied to the worst criminals, to runaway slaves and Christians. Think about putting that group together the worst criminals murderers rapists serial killers uh, runaway slaves slavery was sadly the norm those days and and Christians and many Christians not one or two hundreds perhaps chose to be thrown to the lines rather than renounce their faith in Jesus Where did they find the courage to do so? These were ordinary people. None of them were superheroes. Where did they find the courage to be thrown to the lions? This courage came from the God they worshipped, Christ Jesus. You see, the God they worshipped was also thrown to the lions. Not literally, but figuratively. The the camp of Roman soldiers, the regiment of Roman soldiers that crucified Christ, were no less ferocious, were no less brutal than a gang of lions. You can read in the Gospel accounts that Jesus was mauled. He was attacked. He was torn apart. The flesh on his body was literally torn apart when the Roman soldiers, stronger than lions, whipped the body of Christ with a whip that was full of thorns. Every whip, it would plunge into his flesh and rip his flesh apart. The God they worshipped was thrown to the lions. He was mauled, he was beaten, he was brutalized, he died, and, but he rose again from the dead. You see, the God they worshipped, the God they worshipped in the early church, knew that no den of lions could keep Jesus back at the dead. Jesus rose again from the dead, and they believed, as we believe, that faith in Jesus assures us gives us the guarantee of a resurrection from the dead into a world that's going to be beautiful and perfect with no imperfections whatsoever. We also know that ultimately, it was not the Roman soldiers who killed Jesus. Ultimately, it was God the Father who punished Jesus to death on the cross not because Jesus had done anything wrongly, but Jesus at the cross, had taken on your sins and mine upon himself, and God the Father punished God the Son for your sins and mine. God the Father punished God the Son, God the Son, so that we can be accepted and forgiven and embraced and loved by a holy God who hated sin. You see, every generation through the history of faith in Jesus, every generation has had to face a den of lions. What is our den of lions? You know what I'm talking about. Every one of us, the world, the the culture around us, tells us we cannot be public about our faith. It tells us we cannot talk about Jesus. Are we going to give in to that? Or are we going to Go to God, beg him for grace, beg him for courage, and be public about our faith. I want us to decide today, will you be public about your faith? Before we close, I want to just give us two very simple and practical applications to move in this direction. This week, in our midweek groups, we call them gap groups or gospel application groups, we're going to have a conversation, uh, a discussion that's based on the sermon, based on this passage from the Bible. And, and it's good to listen to a sermon on public faith, but, but I think it, it gets, that, that conviction gets formed in our hearts when we discuss it with one another, when we voice our, our, our thoughts on this. So there will be an opportunity. So, so if you're part of Gap Group's great plugin. If you're not, see if you can join one of the Gap Groups. Or if it's, that's not possible, I'll be posting these discussion in the WhatsApp group. You can just get together with anyone in your vicinity, anyone close to you, and, and, and discuss this with him or oh, her. Huh. That'll be a, a very simple practical application I want to encourage you to. Second, the second practical application. Can we pray here and now that this week, starting Monday, before we come back and meet again next Sunday, can we pray and ask God to give us one opportunity to be public about our faith? I'm not talking about evangelism yet. I'm talking about just telling the world, being honest and being public, that, yeah, I I believe in Jesus. It means a lot to me. It means everything to me. Can we pray that here and now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of being flaunted, Lord. Jesus is worthy of us (coughs) being public about our faith. And Lord, even as we pray this verse that Paul wrote, we pray may your spirit come and and just, 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 just seal this in our hearts. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Thank you, Jesus. And so, Lord, this week, this week, in the next seven days, Lord, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our offices, just give us the grace to just once at least, Lord, once at least, be public by our faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name name we pray. Amen.